Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. I've been talking a little bit about spiritual warfare over the last month or so, and I may conclude those discussions today, but if you can remember, by way of review, I've already talked about the, th- the well, I've shared with you, there are three primary enemies that we face, according to scripture, when it comes to the issue of spiritual warfare. I think it would be wrong of us to simply say that the devil or demonic spirits are the sole opposition that we face. That is not the case. And the Bible tells us about this quite a bit, actually. And so we've already gone over the issue of the devil. We've talked about who the devil is and demonic spirits and what level of power that they have to tempt us and to torment. And I try to explain that just giving a foundation and an understanding so that we know what we're up against and we know how to war, as the scripture would teach us. And then a few weeks ago, I talked to you about the second enemy that we would face, which is the world system. Some scriptures just say the world, and we broke down that word and talked about how the world system is a godless and broken system built by unregenerate people who are following, as the Bible would teach, um, the prince of the power of the air, and we need to be aware of what it is that we're facing. And today, I want to talk to you out of Galatians chapter 5 about the third and not final, but primary enemy that we face as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and that is the flesh. And so my message today is entitled, At War with the Flesh. I was at a coffee shop uh, some time ago, quite a while ago, and I was sitting outside. It was a nice day in Seattle. That's a wonderful day. And as I'm sitting outside, I could hear this noise, this very annoying noise. It was this tapping, and it just, it reminded me of uh, this woodpecker that decided that my house was his house. And he used to wake us up at about five or six in the morning. This tapping reminded me of that guy. And I, and I think that woodpeckers are like gangs, you know. They talk, and they conspire, and they find out that you have shiny gutters down in Federal Way, just like you did up in Mill Creek. They're all gangs. They're gangbangers, and they deserve to be incarcerated. But you know the tapping. Has anybody ever had one of those guys? Yes, BB guns are created for such a thing. And so I had uh, a woodpecker, and I was sitting in this coffee shop, and I could hear that tapping, and, and I recognized it, and I looked over, and I saw this big van, and on the back of the van was one of these very shiny chrome bumpers, one that was like a mirror. And as I looked at the bird, I could see that he was tapping the chrome bumper, and I thought, why is he doing that? He's going to break his beak. Just... Does anybody think like me? Probably not. You just love to come and listen to how I think. Like, I guess I feel better somehow. (laughs) I'm not as bad as, whatever. But I thought to myself, why is he doing that? And it dawned on me. He He is thinking as he's looking into this mirror, this chrome bumper, that he has an enemy and it looks like another bird. And he's trying to fight the other bird. And in my mind, I thought, dumb bird, You're fighting a reflection of yourself. And I thought that was actually a good illustration for us and our topic today, because sometimes we can be like that bird 
Maybe the greatest enemy that you and I face is not the devil or some demonic spirit, although those are real, and we do have a real spiritual warfare that we're up against and that we're engaged in, and we do have the world system, but, but it could be said that the greatest enemy that we actually have is often ourself. And what I mean by ourself is that that unredeemed, that unyielded, that unsurrendered part of us, if you didn't know it, today you're going to be thoroughly aware that you have a traitor living inside of you. And the Bible calls that traitor the flesh. And it's very specific as we look at it. And we need to know that we have victory in Christ over the flesh, but just because we do does not mean that it's automatic. As we're going to see in the scriptures, it teaches us how it is that we war against the flesh, that part of us that is going to die with our physical body, how it is that we overcome because of Christ, and how we posture our lives in victory. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, I'm going to go to verse 26. Here's what the Bible says. Paul says to the church, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing. And then he says, and things like these. He sort of ran out of room, you know? (laughs) And everything else that you can imagine that is also evil. Things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice in an ongoing way, in an unrepentant way, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And just a footnote there, sometimes we will do word studies or we'll do studies on the fruit of the Spirit and we'll break down all nine of the fruits. That was not Paul's intention. If you've gone to my discipleship track too, you've heard me teach about the Holy Spirit Paul's intention of saying love, joy, peace, patience, him saying all that was not for us to break it down and focus on those things. Actually, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and love manifests in all these other ways. And the grammar actually shows that to be the case. That's why Jesus would say the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. When love is our central focus, we will manifest the character of Christ and the nature of the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about that again. You got to go to discipleship track two. I break this whole thing down. And he goes on to say this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And then he says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. That's the part that we do. There's a part that Jesus did, and there's a part that we do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. At this point in the letter that Paul had written to the Galatian church, he had, he had already reached two very important goals. The first is he was defending his apostleship because there were several churches as he was away that were actually saying, and there were 
teachers, false teachers that would say that Paul is not an apostle. And they used a lot of different reasons to try to convince people of that, of that which was not true. It's not a fact. It wasn't true. And Paul defends his apostleship to them, and he does that in chapter 1. The second thing he does, though, in this letter up to this point, is he defends the gospel, and he's showing that it is by grace alone, apart from human works, and that the Christian is freed from the curse of the law and brought into right relationship with God. Paul deals with two things as it relates to the gospel in the letter to the Galatian church. He deals with the issue of Christian liberty and what holiness is before God. He does not want his, the followers of Christ to walk in any type of legalism, which is a false righteousness. But he also, in chapter 5 before verse 16, he talks to them about this word. We, we don't use it anymore, but it's a word, licentiousness. I'm not even going to have everybody repeat after me. It's where we think that because Jesus died for us, and we are forgiven, that we can go about living however we want, and we'll be forgiven, and it doesn't really matter. That's what he's addressing here in chapter 5, and he's saying legalism and licentiousness, neither of these are the right way, and he corrects both of them, and then he gets to this place in verse 16, where he talks about the war that every Christian, every follower of Jesus is in, and he references this issue of the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit, and he equips the believers on how it is that we not only wage war, but we are victorious in Christ. And that's what we want to talk about today, but let me define what the flesh is for a moment, because you may not know. There are a lot of references in the Bible where it says the flesh, and it doesn't always mean the same thing. And we see that whatever Paul means when he says the flesh, it is connected to evil deeds because he gives us a large list of what those things are like. But when this word is used, it's a Greek word, sarx is the word, and it can have five different meanings in the New Testament. Namely, it can mean the body, the physical body, but Paul tends to use another Greek word when he refers to the physical body, but not always, so it can be quite confusing. But when he uses this word and he namely is trying to connect it to the evil deeds, the context always helps us. He adds sort of an ethical dimension to it. He helps us to understand what exactly he's talking about. And I would define the flesh in this context as the corrupted human nature. And there are other translations of the Bible that use different words. They don't say flesh. For example, the NIV and the NLT say sinful nature. Whenever the context dictates what's being talked about here, it means the sinful nature. The Amplified goes further and it says the sinful nature which responds impulsively without regard for God and his precepts. The NRSV and the NJB refer to this as self-indulgence. And the Message Bible says sinful self-interest. So whatever we're talking about when we say the flesh, we're talking about the corrupted human nature. Paul says in Romans 7.14 that the struggle of the flesh is warring in the soul. And then he goes into Romans chapter 8 and he says those who are in Christ live by the spirit and not the flesh. But then he goes further and he says if you're going to live by the spirit, then you have to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. It's a daily thing, it's an issue of surrender. It's not just automatic. Jesus did it legally, but we do it practically as we follow Christ and are filled with the Holy Spirit. In Romans 13 verse 14, Paul goes on to say, make no provision for the flesh. 
Live in such a way where you're not opening yourself up to be an instrument of unrighteousness. First Peter chapter two, Peter says in verse 11, he tells believers to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. You know what he's saying? He's saying you have a choice. He's saying you have a choice to sin or not sin is what he's talking about. First Corinthians three, verse one through three, Paul tells a very divisive church that their behavior and the way that they're thinking is fleshly. And we used to use the word carnal. He's saying you are carnal Christians. You're living in a way where you're giving yourself over to the flesh or to the corrupted nature. You are not living in a way that is in keeping with what Jesus paid for, with how the Holy Spirit, theologically we know the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and the power that he has given you to overcome. But Jesus also taught this, he just used different language. In Luke chapter nine and verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, not only in that day, but he also meant it to be an echo as they would continue to advance the church in days to come. He said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must first deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I find it interesting that Jesus said, you must deny self. He did not say deny sin. He said deny self because sin is attached to self. When we give our lives to Jesus and we come under his lordship, what we are saying is we will follow you and your words and your ways and not ourselves. We have to deny ourselves, our way, our thoughts, our rights. We give over everything to Jesus. We deny ourselves. And when we learn to deny ourselves daily, we take up our cross. The cross was a picture of death and crucifixion, it was obedience to God at any price. Jesus was speaking about obedience to God at any price. To follow me, you have to deny yourself. You have to live what the Bible would also call the crucified life. And this is an ongoing thing for us. So the flesh is a corrupted human nature that is entirely bent on self and selfishness. And I want to tell you today and be a little controversial, not that I'm, um, not that, I'm that way ever, But the Bible has been diagnosing many of our modern day conditions for a long time. I just want to read to you the definition of narcissism. Narcissism is a personality disorder in which a person has an inflated sense of self-importance. And the Mayo Clinic, which is a very well-known psychological institution, Uh, they would go further by saying narcissistic personality disorder is found more commonly in men. The cause is unknown, but likely involves a combination of genetic, can somebody say Adam, and environmental factors. Symptoms include an excessive need for affirmation or admiration. I mean, social media has proved, I mean, so, I I gotta stop. Excessive need for admiration, disregard for others' feelings, and inability to handle any criticism, and a sense of entitlement. The disorder needs to be diagnosed by a professional, and treatment involves talk therapy. Now, some of you are counselors. Some of you are psychologists, mental health specialists. I honor your work. We need you. We love you. We thank you. But I would also tell you that man has been trying to diagnose problems for many years. 
And the Bible gives us clarity in a base level. Friends, at a base level. Are there people that have a narcissistic personality disorder? Of course there are. There are people that have maybe something inside of them. There's a missing element. But I, but I want to tell you, I have watched people that are as narcissistic as it gets completely change because of the Holy Spirit entering into their life. Amen. We are a people that teach that you and I can change. We can be redeemed. We can grow and we can change. You will not learn that from the culture. What you and I will learn from the culture and often from our modern day diagnosis, and I know this is controversial, but I'm going to say it, is that we will learn how to label people. And when we can label people, we can put them into boxes. And when we can put them into boxes, we can keep our distance. We can have our boundaries. And often what we will do is put boundaries on our love. We will put boundaries on our theology. And we will not look at what scripture teaches, what scripture tells us, the hope that scripture gives for us. And we will call people names. We will label people. And I think that's labelism and that's not theology. And I think we've got to, for be, to be biblical Christians, we have to go back to the Bible and understand that every person that is born is born with a corrupted human nature. It is not just nurture, it is nature. And it can be nurtured to getting even worse and worse as years go on. But this, the Bible calls the flesh. You and I have the flesh. And I think it's important that we recognize something though. The Bible tells us that we have been set free from the flesh if we are in Christ. If we are in Christ. But it is not automatic. I want to read to you the deliverance that Jesus paid for and that we can receive and do receive through faith in him. Look what Galatians 5.24 through 26 says. Again, he says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. That's past tense. If we live by the Spirit, so if we are in Christ, let us also walk by the Spirit. In other words, there's something God does legally for us on our behalf. He sets us free from being bound to the desires and the lust from the flesh, from being a slave to it. And he gives our freedom back so that we can choose to walk and live by the Holy Spirit. Here's what Romans chapter 6 and verse 8 says. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. That's something that we do. We have to consider. Another translation says, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin, do not allow sin to reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This is what we would call surrender. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. There are a couple things we can conclude when we read passages like this, and these aren't the only ones. Number one, we've been delivered from the power of the flesh and therefore the power of sin. We are no longer slaves to unrighteousness. If you are a Christian, you are not a slave to unrighteousness anymore. That is factual, that is positional, and Jesus died and paid for that. The second thing we can conclude is we have been restored to freedom where we get to choose to worship, obey, and love the Lord from our heart. 
So legally, we are no longer controlled or dominated by our fleshly desires, but that does not guarantee automatic freedom from daily struggles or the war that we face with the internal struggle of the flesh. We know this because we are given many exhortations in the Bible that deal with all kinds of sin. Paul wrote 13 letters to churches that were saved, but they were not sanctified. He wrote to them and said, you need to stop being divisive. You need to stop lusting sexually. You need to stop being boastful and prideful. You need to stop being envious. You need to stop being jealous toward each other. I mean, if you just read Paul's letters, you can see him navigating and negotiating with believers to know who they are in Christ and to know Christ and to appropriate that in their practical lives so that they can live in keeping with what Jesus paid for. In other words, we have been restored back to freedom. That is what Jesus paid for. And that means that you and I can choose to sin. You can go out of this room today, and you and I can choose to sin, or we can choose to obey the Lord. Before we were Christians, we would just obey the lusts and the passions of the flesh. And I wanna tell you something today, God is not in the business of trying to redeem our flesh. God is not in the business of trying to make us a little bit better. God wants to make us deader. You cannot make the flesh better. It needs to be crucified. You can only sophisticate the flesh and make it religious. And so this is what it talks about when it's saying the crucified life. So we have a traitor inside of us. There is a part of us that is connected to this physical body that God is in the process of fully redeeming. Now, I want to explain it to you this way. We are tripart beings, spirit, soul, and body. And this is important to understand when we read the Bible because sometimes we get confused. When I was a young man and I didn't understand some of what I'm trying to explain today, I didn't get the fact that, I didn't get why I still struggled with sin. I mean, I had been redeemed, I I had been born again, I I now loved people and I wanted to do right and I wanted to live righteously. All of that was true of my life and and you could tell there was a significant change and a difference in in my life. And, And when I sinned, I grieved and people would say, that's proof that you're a child of God. And I, and I knew that, but it still didn't feel very good. Anybody, anybody with me on that? Still felt totally. But I, I would read verses that were past tense. You have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. I would read all these past tense verses. But then I would read these present verses, these present tense verses, that there's this ongoing thing happening. And as I begin to study more and more, I realize that all of it's true. Because there are some people in the body of Christ that have given themselves over to a false doctrine called hypergrace. And they actually believe that the flesh is entirely eradicated and you no longer have sin in your life. It's just a matter of you need like an upgrade in your faith. No friend, as long as you are living in the earth, you are going to have to war against the flesh. You'd have to throw out two dozen Bible verses to say anything different. You just would. And I recommend not throwing out any Bible verses. I just think that's a bad practice. But I've met people who are like, act like, well, we no longer have the flesh anymore. And I'm like, well, what do you do with all these verses that talk about abstain from fleshly desires that wage war against your soul? We just have to go with what the Bible teaches. So when Jesus died and rose again, right, what he paid for was our spirit, soul, and body. But we're all in process of being fully saved and fully sanctified. If you take our systematic theology class, 
you'll get all of this teaching, but let me just give it to you in a bite-sized form, spirit, soul, and body. It's really important for us to grasp these different passages in the Bible where we see them as past tense, present tense, and future tense. They're related to our spirit, soul, and body. So the Bible tells us that those who give their lives to Jesus are saved, are sanctified. The Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in our spirit So we have a new nature, we are born again, and we are now eternal beings because our spirit is made alive. Our spirit was dead in our sins and our transgressions, but when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us because we come under the lordship of Christ, it is now alive. So our spirit is saved. But then all the other verses talk about how our soul is being saved or sanctified. It is being set apart unto the Lord so that we can fulfill his holy purposes on the earth. But then it talks about on the day of the Lord, we shall be saved. So you get a little confused. You're like, we are saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. Yes, that is called positional salvation or sanctification, progressive sanctification, and perfect sanctification. All of them are true, and God is doing all of them. And this is really important for us to know when we read verses that talk about the warring of the soul that we are called to engage in. So positionally, we have been set free from the flesh, and it is from victory that you and I can, by faith, live this life. And when we have fleshly temptations and desires, by the Spirit of God, we can say no to those things in our life, and we can have victory. If we're not Christians, that is not possible. We are just subject to the fleshly desires and we're slaves to unrighteousness. I hope this is being clear. You guys look like a tree full of owls today. (laughs) One time I said that and somebody actually bought me like a literal uh, container with owls. I thought, you gotta be careful what you say. Not how far I wanted to go. So we have been set free from the power of the flesh. But how do we walk in keeping with what Jesus has paid for? How do we stay in an overcoming way towards the flesh? I think this is really important because I was a part of deliverance ministry for a long time. And if I told you we prayed for a thousand people, I wouldn't be exaggerating. We, We would have people come and they would sit in a seat and there'd be two of us, sometimes three of us. And we would uh, do an intake, counselors do an intake when they see people usually. And so we would ask them what's going on in their life. We would read the fruits of the flesh and we would talk to them about any struggles that they have. What are these ongoing struggles? And really what we're trying to discern is, is it a demonic power that's plaguing you? Usually we would describe that as something that feels bigger than you. Something that feels bigger than you that's dictating to you. And we have a way of talking that through. And we're trying to discern, is there a demonic power in your life that's that's oppressing you, that's plaguing you, or is this the flesh? Because I want to tell you something. You cannot counsel a demon, and you cannot cast out the flesh. And often, if we're not clear about what I'm talking about, I'm trying to instruct us today. If we're not clear about what we're facing, we're going to be warring in a wrong way. We're going to be warring in a wrong way. Often people are trying to cast out the flesh. No, friends, we have to learn to live disciplined, devoted lives to Christ. It's not rocket science. It's not always a demon. Sometimes we're blaming demons when they're not present and they're laughing. And, so, and, we're, and, and sometimes we're blaming ourselves when there's a tormentor that's involved that needs to be cast out in the name of Jesus. And so I was involved in a deliverance ministry and I... 
I mean, they just exhausted me, to be quite honest with you, because it was just constant. Everything was, was a demon. And I realized that 80% of our deliverance is discipleship. We can cast the demon out today. If, if somebody has a demon that is plaguing their life, in the authority of Christ, we can cast out that presence right now in Jesus' name. When we sang, we have authority, we meant that. The Bible says that. The Bible says that extremely clearly when we're saying we have authority. I love to sing that because I, it's not about me, it's about what Jesus says. So if I'm gonna glorify Jesus, then I'm gonna take his word as truth. That's what it means to glorify God. It means to believe him, even if it affects me or offends me. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's about doing what Jesus says, and we believe the word is true. And so we have to understand 80% of our deliverance is discipleship. And so a lot of times what people will do, what we will do is we'll come and we'll ask for prayer. Pastor Ben, will you pray for me? I need to get this issue taken care of in my life. And I agree. And God agrees with that. That's sin. He wants to excavate our hearts. He wants to remove those weeds out of our life. But he wants our cooperation as well. We've got to get up in the morning and we've got to read the word of God and renew our minds. And we have to learn how to run from temptation. And we have to come into alignment with God's heart and God's word. It is not automatic. Being a devoted disciple and follower of Jesus is not automatic. The American church has proved that. And so there's a way in which we go about warring against the flesh and having this overcoming mindset and way of life. The first is we run from temptation. I got three points as I close. Number one, we run from temptation. There are some things in our life, they are too hot to handle. Come on, too cold to hold. There's a song there somewhere. Somebody had a flashback, my bad. Second Timothy chapter two and verse 22, look what Paul says to Timothy. He says, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations knowing that they produce quarrels. That, that one verse right there was like 2020 in a way refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, misinformations, we use different terms today, don't we? Knowing that they produce quarrels. Paul tells Timothy to run from youthful lusts. Sometimes I tell young people there's a difference between being young and youthful. There's a difference between, between being young and youthful because Paul told Timothy, do not look down on your youth, but be a, be a, be a person that demonstrates a sincerity of heart and a pure life before God. Don't look down on your youth. It's not about being young. It's about being youthful. Don't be youthful in, in, as it pertains to lust. And so he tells them, run from youthful lust and run to righteousness. We're not just running from something like, I'm running from temptation. You're running to the Lord. And that really is a description of repentance. We turn from this thing and we don't negotiate with it. We don't, we don't try to see how far it can go. You know, it's like for me, I know that I can gain weight really easily if I just go open my pantry in times when I shouldn't. It's so easy to pick up 400 extra calories. And then I wonder, I go, you know, I just wonder why I can't shed these extra pounds. It's because I keep opening the pantry door. Amen. You got to walk by that thing, stare it in the face and say, no. Graham crackers. It's those kinds of, you know what I mean? I mean, crackers are delicious. I don't know who made those things, but God bless them, you know? I don't know what it is. Some people, you guys like chips. I like crackers. I'm a cracker person. That could mean lots of things, but <laughs> that's terrible. I just apologize for like anything that came out the wrong way. I'm sorry. 
But if you strap a microphone to your face and you talk for 55 minutes in front of people, you're bound to say something you wish you didn't. One time I, I was in Eastern Washington during the summer, some neighbors that we had used to take me on vacation with them during the summer, uh, one of my best friends at the time, and, and we would go there and they, they thought it was a great idea every year to camp in 110 degree weather in a tent and just bring all your family with you. Some of you love that. And so, and that's great. No judgment at all. Just do, do you. But I would go with them and, and it sounded great until you got there and you're like, oh, I'm dying. Like the heat was on Hades. You know what I'm saying? Like that's about as close to hell as I ever want to get, you know, it's for real hot. And so, so they would take me camping with them and it was cool for the young guys and gals to go down to the lake and there was this long road to get there so we would have to walk down from the campsite to the lake and we would have a flashlight just to know where we were going as the path was sort of narrow. Anyways, we we were running down the path one time and next thing I know, I heard like what sounded, the only thing I know that it sounded like was like a jar full of beads just shaking. It's kind of like that. And it didn't register in my mind because I I don't have a any encounters with these things called rattlesnakes? Like I personally have no friends that are snakes. I, you know, I read the Bible, you know, right there in Genesis three and they're just not my friends. And so I live in a place where, you know, you see one and you could easily kill it. It's a gardener's snake, but we don't have these things. So I hear this thing and my friend, he just looks like somebody shot him and he stood still. And I look at him and I thought I better stop. He shines his light and there's this big rattlesnake. And I swear the thing was a hundred feet long. I mean, at least in my head, the thing was huge. And uh, all I know is when I saw that snake, I didn't negotiate. I didn't, I wasn't like interested and shaking hands. I mean, I took off, man. I started running the opposite direction. As far as I know, that snake ate my friend. I was gone. I was gone. We'll get your body tomorrow. We love you. We'll go look for the anti-venom. I don't know. I heard it cost 10 grand though. So we'll have to save up. I ran and here's the thing. I think we need to treat some sin like that. We need to just run. Friends, we don't need to negotiate. There are some things we don't need to figure out. When I was a youth pastor, I would have, I preach, and sometimes people will tell me I preach to a conclusion, you know, not to a point. <laughs> I don't still know what that means, but, but I would preach a lot of youth camps, and, and I, I probably did 100 camps. And I preach, and I'm, unashamedly, I want God to bring revival, and I preach conviction and I want us to rid our lives of sin. I believe that one of the reasons why revival is held back is because the sin that is still in the secret places, right? We've got to get our secret place cleaned out so that all that is in the secret place is prayer. Amen. And then when we come to gather together, it's an overflow of what is operative in our life. And I I believe often we don't have revival because of what's being held back in the secret place. If we fill that place with prayer, the gathering place and the marketplace will be so filled, we'll just get overwhelmed. And that's God's people rising up. So I'd go preach to the young people and I believe that the young people are gonna be a great generation, a holy generation that are gonna fight off demonic power and are gonna war against the flesh and overcome it in Jesus' name. I I unashamedly believe that. And so I preach with that faith in mind. And I remember young people would come up and they'd say, Pastor Ben, I'm so, um, I feel so convicted. They would say guilty, but I would try to reorient their term, terminology. I feel so convicted because I play video games. Now, if this is you, I'm not, I mean, it is if the shoe fits, you know, but I play video games for like three or four hours a day. And I just feel like you're talking about reading the Bible and praying and I don't do any of that, but I'm just so addicted. And they they finally could admit it. I'm addicted to something. And maybe a video game is not like a sin, 
But when you give yourself to excess, at some point it becomes a sin to you because of what it takes away from your life. Television is not a sin, but if, if, if we give ourselves to something that provides total insignificance in our life, at some point it becomes sin in our life. Not because in and of itself it's wrong, but because we are literally being consumed by something and it is dictating terms. Our feelings, our moods, it's medicating us, it's wooing us, it's drawing us. Friends, it becomes a voice in our life. These things that might be neutral and in moderation, they're okay. They become voices in in our lives and they start to affect us, believe it or not. And so I'd have young people say, I'm addicted to video games like three or four hours. And in my head, I'm like, three to four hours, oh my gosh, you know, that's just me. And I'd say, I got a solution. Give me your video game system. (laughs) I mean, I'm straight up. Give me your video game system. And you just could have seen everything in them. Like every body part they had would move. (laughs) That's evidence of addiction, ladies and gentlemen. Straining that back. I'm not, hey, friend, listen. I'm not saying you can't watch television. I'm not saying you can't do that. But at some point... The purposes of God are being stolen from us by entertainment. What if entertainment was detaining us from entering what God had for our lives? Okay, you got to say that again. That was quotable. Come on now. I mean, at some point, I mean, at some point, the, the, the apple, as it were, is sort of a shiny image that we stay focused on. An image, I mean, I I don't want to get into some other theories I have, but we've got to run. I said, give me your video game system. I never got one, (laughs) except for my own kids, which right now we are on a long fast. You know, they come to the next service, so I'll leave that alone. But we, (laughs) but I would get my kids because there are times, sometimes I just feel it. I'm in my house. I'm like, we need to fast from entertainment and media. And, And then they don't know when it's coming. You know, they just got to guess. But we feel that and we've got to live in that tension of like, we can't let things consume our lives, you understand? And so whatever the temptation is, and I would tell you this, and I, and I, and I mean this, if, if there's a temptation to look at things you shouldn't look at, or even if there's a temptation for you to get angry because of what you read when it comes to the news and social media and all that stuff, that anger, the Bible says the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And if this year hasn't proved that to us, it should have. We've got to know what's triggering us, what's making us sort of rise on the inside. And I, I think we've got to get a hold of that. We've got to learn how to run from some things. I don't mean physically run, but, but we've got to run and pursue righteousness and say, God, I want you more than, than anything. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 4 says, anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better, than, better off than a dead lion. Yeah, think about that one. I would rather run from something and, 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 and be living and alive and, and have, have everything that I'm supposed to have than consume my life with things that are sinful and dragging me down de- death. It's better to be a living dog than a dead lion. I think Solomon was reflecting deep that day when he wrote that. Number two is we need to renew our minds. In order for us to overcome the flesh consistently for the long haul, we have to learn how to take hold and take captive what is going on in our minds. And I don't have a lot left, but let me explain this to you because Romans chapter 12, verse one and two, and Ephesians four help us to understand that we need to renew our minds, but we often don't know how to do that. And so pastors will say, read the Bible. And that is true. We need to fill our lives with the word of God. 
But if, if you're a teacher or you're a truck driver or you work on computers, you're not reading the Bible every, every second of the day. And so you really do need practical tools of how to appropriate that which you read into your life. So whatever your job is, I just want to help you. And it's called the principle of displacement. All right, everybody say displacement. We're trying to, we got to learn how to displace the thoughts that are trying to bring us captive to fleshly lusts and desires. And that would be jealousy and envy and anger and pride and boasting and lust and all of that stuff tries to take us captive by meditating on it day and night. How do we displace those thoughts and lay hold of other thoughts? Paul says this in Philippians. He says, whatever is true, noble, right, whatever is pure, lovely, or admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Well, how do you do that? Let me give you an example. Let's just say, I know this is a terrible example. I kind of apologize. But let's just say I was up here preaching passionately and I was, man, I was getting into it. And you guys were like, man, Pastor Ben, he's like, he's really in it today, my gosh. But you were getting a little nervous because I keep getting close to the stage. I think I almost did fall down our stage one time. It was like my fourth sermon. And there are a few of you, every time a pastor gets close to the stage or anybody that's up here, you get a little nervous, don't you? Can we have some honest confessions here? You're like, wow, his, his toe is actually over the stage. But then I just go for it. I'm like, God wants to save and baptize. And then bam, I just fall right off the stage. Right, just boom, I'm on the ground and, uh, and you guys stand up and none of you laugh because you would never do that. You would not do that. You would suppress that inner child and you would be utterly concerned for Pastor Ben. Some of you would be on the phone with 911. Does he need help? Does he need help? I don't know, hold on. You would want to know because you, you care about me so much. But I just, I'm into it and then bam. And then what if I didn't even stop preaching? I just was on the ground, just like, <laughs> and God wants to save your life and heal you, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Take me in the rapture now, Lord. I'm just going up preaching as I'm, uh, whatever. All right, so, so take that very weird thought, put it on the shelf, okay? Now, let's think about eating lunch or dinner today. You want to go to one of your favorite restaurants. I like Cheesecake Factory. Amen, Dr. Dan, Roseanne. I like Cheesecake Factory. We tried to do that. We went to Duke's, but that was good too. I like Cheesecake Factory. Number one is they practically got like a 500-page list of a menu, uh, just enough to confuse you, right? But it's, it's amazing. I like the Cheesecake Factory because you sit down and it just, it's got like this Italian vibe too. You feel like you're in Italy, like... It's amazing, you know. It's a little Frank Sinatra playing in the background, and that might be Olive Garden, but it's just this, it's, it's an amazing, the vibe is wonderful. As you're sitting down, and this, this heavenly bread begins to float to your table, you know. It just comes straight from heaven, doesn't it? It just, it just floats, it just lands on your table. And you get, it's like, is it brown or sourdough? I don't know, how about both, you know? How about both? And the butter is there too. And I don't do like pop, or uh, I'm sort of uh, one of those, individuals that won't pay for drinks at a restaurant. I'm just adamant about it. So I just say, could you provide us some lemons? And they bring you a little bowl of lemon, a bowl. It's not just one lemon. They give you a bowl of lemons. So we've, you know, put the lemons in the water, got the lemon water and got the bread. And then for me, for me, it's spicy cashew chicken. Amen. Spicy cashew chicken. It's a wonderful thing. I'm allergic to garlic. It's got a little garlic in there. I'm being a little risky. I want you to know. And so that comes and you have that. You're totally satisfied. And if that's not enough, they bring out the dessert menu. And you're like, gosh, I just had 2,400 calories. Why not another 2,000 calorie piece of cheesecake? Why not? Because I saved up for a month, man. I fasted for a month. I can do this. And you know it's not good. I, I don't understand why date night has to be like, well, we won't go into that. But 
a 2,000 calorie piece of cheesecake. That just doesn't even, that doesn't click. You understand? Only, only a cheesecake factory. And so for me, it's key lime cheesecake. I just want to tell you today, key lime cheese, that's just amazing. There's an anointing on that. It's powerful. <laughs> I get delivered when I eat it. It's, it's, oh, it's awesome. And so, and so we're sitting there and we're having a great discussion about this sermon and, uh, and we're all refreshed and renewed and replenished and very, very full. Now, what are you thinking about right now? Some of you are thinking like Cheesecake Factory might be a good place to go eat today. <laughs> or it's been a long time since we went out to eat at a restaurant. But you're not thinking right now about me falling off the stage and preaching on the ground. This is, this is a very important principle. And I want to show you what happens when you have one very serious thing that happens and it, it is in your mind and it starts to, you meditate on it. But if you shift gears and now you're involved in a whole nother way of thinking about something entirely different. I want to tell you, it's as practical as that. You and I can learn how to renew our minds. We just have to bring the word of God into it. You know how I do it? This is what I do. Sometimes when I have, let's just say for anger, Anger is a secondary emotion. It comes out of wounding, typically when we get hurt. And it's not helpful to say you don't get hurt. I really can tell you from experience uh, that is suppression and it just hurts you personally. But hurt in our life starts to trigger things. And some of us go towards anger. It's a secondary emotion. So when you start to feel that rise up, when I do, I will, if I'm sitting at a desk, I'll push off my desk. I will stand up sometimes and I don't want to give myself to that. And I'll say, Father, I thank you. That is no longer who I am. I thank you that those people, you, you, you love them. They're made in your image. And now I just pray that you would bless them. I pray for you to bless them. Pour out your spirit upon whoever comes to my mind, whatever is trying to come and manifest through my life, even in my thoughts. Because Jesus said that if you're angry with your brother in your heart, it's like you committed murder. Why did he say that? Because something starts here and it manifests out here. He was teaching us a principle that don't overlook what is going on on the inside. That's why when we're saved and cleansed, it's from the inside out. Jesus wants us to war here and here so that it never happens here. And part of the way we do that is displacement. So for me, I walk and I pray. This is what I do. Sometimes I go on a drive and I pray if something starts to really attack me. And I want to tell you this actually works, displacing those thoughts, whatever they might be. There are times where I'll sit down and people start talking bad about somebody, and I am not ashamed to say, hey, you know what? God bless you guys. I got to go, and uh, it was good to see you. I'm not going to participate in that because gossip and slander is a manifestation of the nature of the devil as far as I'm concerned, and it will affect me, and it will affect others, and, and the Bible is very clear about having a pure stream coming out of our mouths, and this is what I desire, especially wanting to be prophetic. I want to hear from the Lord and speak from his heart and speak from his word, and to do that, you cannot corrupt that stream. You have to be very careful about how it is that you allow things into your mind and into your heart. We all make mistakes, but the flesh is just knocking on the door trying to corrupt us because it is a corrupted human nature. Are you with me today? The third and final is if I could have somebody come is we need to walk by the spirit. Galatians 5 16 we come back to our text. I say walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. How are we filled with the spirit? Very simply we ask. The Bible says we have not because we Ask not. Jesus said, if you ask of your heavenly father, he's good. 
He's a good father. How much more will the father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Can I encourage you today as I close my sermon to do something? I'm trying to instruct. I want us to understand what the flesh is. I want us to understand we can overcome it because of Christ. I want us to know how to overcome it. But I want to tell you how to start your day. And if you would take me seriously on this, I believe it will help you. If you wake up in the morning, the first person you say hello to is Jesus. Wake up, open your eyes, no matter what your breath smells like, no matter if you have somebody in your bed with you, you're married to or not, whatever, wake up and say, hello, Jesus, I love you. And the next thing you and I can do, if you don't have 20, 30 minutes, or maybe you're not there yet, start here. Fill me with your Holy Spirit today, that what I say and that what I do is pleasing in your eyes that what I say and what I do is pleasing in your eyes. We're not just gonna rush out and expect that everything that we do and say is gonna be exactly as it's supposed to be. We don't trust that. We lean in to the person of Jesus and we ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what the Bible says, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. What if we have more because we ask for more? What if we're filled more often simply because we ask? God does not have an MVP team. He does not have specials. He does not have favorites. He's got one family, sons and daughters. And some of us are gonna walk in righteousness more simply because we're asking, simply because we're moving towards him, pursuing righteousness and fleeing from these other things. It's really that simple. Pastor Ben, it can't be that simple. It is. We ask and then we receive by faith. Would you stand with me today as we close? I'll say this to you and over us. Victory is not only possible, but it is promised. Victory was obtained by Jesus. It has been given to us. Therefore, we receive it and we walk in it by faith. Some days we need to run from sin and temptation, but every day we need to renew our minds and walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Now let's ask together that we would receive the power of the Holy Spirit to live free from the desire of the flesh. Do that with me today. Father, we thank you today that your word says that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we desire to follow you with all of our heart and to do so in a way that glorifies you, that brings the most glory to the name of Jesus. And I pray today, Lord, wherever we're warring or whatever we're warring against, and that battle will not go away, but we can overcome it because of you, because of what you've done and because of what you've given to us. And so now by faith, we receive the Holy Spirit fresh, an overflowing work of the Spirit of God in our lives to trample over all the work of the enemy, to say no to the flesh, to be free to do as you tell us to. That is what we desire. May you receive glory from our life today in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.